You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On today's show, we sit down with Roger King, who 20 plus years ago founded Bay Angels, an angel group based in Silicon Valley that is dedicated to promoting the entrepreneur spirit by assisting early stage technology companies with capital, connections, and board level advice. He's also the CEO of Chief People, with 20 years experience in recruiting at both the executive level and the individual contributor level. He's interested in helping companies hire what they need. On today's show, we talk about how has angel investing changed over the past 20 years, some suggestions for beginner angel investors, what problems do startups make when pitching to investors, do angel groups talk to each other, and much, much more. So remember, please like and share and write a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Encourage us to create more of this great content for you, share with your network, and now let's begin the this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Roger, thank you for taking the time today to be on the Silicon Valley Podcast. Now, I've known you for years. You're one of the first people I met here in Silicon Valley when I moved back from, from China. I mean, I was really amazed because, I mean, you're the founder of Bay Angels, a, a brand that's very well known in Silicon Valley and globally. There's a lot of events going on between you and other groups in Korea, in Europe, in Prague. I just have to ask you, can you tell me the story behind the founding of Bay Angels? Sure, Sean. Thank you for having me on the on uh, your podcast. So back in 1996, I was on the board of directors of the Sausalito Chamber of Commerce. And at that time, their members and their focus was on the local hotels, restaurants, and t-shirt shops. And they really weren't aware of the tech community that I was surrounded with in the, the north end of Sausalito. So one example, we had a, a battery-operated uh, skateboard company and a and games companies. And they were also looking for ways to increase their revenue and their membership because at the time, most of the revenue came from the Sausalito Art Festival, which is a great event which only takes place once a year. However, if, if it rains or there's a wreck on the bridge, uh, they don't make their budget because the festival's not uh, that successful. So they were looking for ways to increase, uh, again, the membership and the revenue. So I wanted them to engage with the tech community because what had happened in the past is these small tech communities or tech companies would get funded and grow, and then they'd they'd move to San Francisco or Silicon Valley, and then Sausalito was never even aware that they were there. So I came up with uh, an idea, which I called the Marin Technology Ventures, which was a competition for startups to present to a group of investors. Chamber gave me a budget of $12,000. They didn't expect to see any of that return. And they said, you've got some good ideas, just go for it. So we had companies present to us, they pitched us, it was a judged event. And we selected, I believe 25 companies to pitch during an all day event, which we held at the Bay Model in Sausalito. We had so much interest and so many companies apply that we had to turn down. I rented a massive tent in a parking lot and charged, I think, $250 for each table where companies that weren't selected could present their ideas to investors, which 
brought in even more money. So I not only returned the $12,000, I think I gave him a total of $36,000, which is what we made from the event. But it wasn't just about money. It was about connecting investors with these uh, wonderful Marin-based opportunities. And uh, one of the companies we turned down is a great story. It was a company called Diggler. And Diggler had come up with basically like a mountain bike version of a scooter. It had mountain bike brakes, knobby tires. We turned them down. Anyway, the founder of Diggler crashes our lunch and comes in on one of his scooters and leaves with a $10,000 check from one of my investors. So part of me was irritated that he crashed the event. But then a bigger part of me was, was uh, proud of him for having the Hudspeth to crash the event and walk away with a check. So they may still be in business as far as, far as I know. In fact, they invented a, a new revenue stream for the, the ski communities where they have all this downtime during the summer. So now they go up on the lifts with their diggler and they come downhill and have, have a great time. So that was one of many interesting stories that came out of that event. I did that two years in a row, and then for some reason, the chamber lost interest in it, but I I became passionate about it. And from there, I invented, uh, literally invented Bay Angels. And the name Bay Angels, it rang so well that people would say, oh, Bay Angels, I've heard of you. And I thought to myself, no, you haven't. I just made it up a week ago. (laughs) Anyway, so we had a great start. We had a lot of interest. And uh, we started having meetings at the Spinnaker Restaurant in Sausalito, standing room only. Uh, and we started uh, pitching companies. And one of the first companies that presented to us was Open Table. And pardon the pun, they weren't much more than an idea on the back of a napkin at the time. We helped them raise their seed, uh, seed round and uh, never looked back. So, Roger, I've also heard rumors that you might own a pair of angel wings. <laughs> So now, could you share with us if this is true and the story behind it? Well, here's the theory behind it. If you've got a goal, and let's say your goal is to get some press, and and you don't have the budget for a big PR campaign, that doesn't change the goal, the end story, the end run. So I got a call one day from Forbes magazine, and they were coming out to interview me and the founders of a couple of other angel groups. And I thought, you know, how can I get on the cover? How, I want to be the lead story. I don't want to be just a photograph of a guy looking at his laptop. So I rented these four foot wide angel wings with real feathers and put on a white robe. So instead of having a picture of me at a laptop, here I am in my angel outfit and uh, I made the cover. And I had so much fun with those wings that I refused to bring them back to the rental agency. And I eventually bought them, and I, I still have them to this day in that closet around <laughs> around the corner. So it was a simple idea, but it made a photograph more interesting. It made a story more interesting. They took a photograph of us at uh, Baker Beach one day in the fog, dressed in these long black overcoats, as if it was a scene from The Matrix. And again, the same thing happened. We made the cover story. Roger, it kind of sounds like you're a master of the press or or the media. Can you share some other stories where maybe there was an an opportunity that maybe wasn't so clear that was presented to you that you changed into a huge opportunity for either yourself or someone else? 
Sure. So one simple and real example of that, I got a call one day from CNN. And again, this was years ago. And they wanted to do a story on a company that lets you bring your pets to work. So I thought to myself, I've got to get a client involved in this. So I called a client company and I said, how'd you like to be on CNN this afternoon? She said, sure. What do we do? I said, send your employees home and have them bring their pets to work. So, and it was around Christmas time. So they put antlers on the dogs and things. And sure enough, uh, CNN came out, interviewed me and the founder and walked around the office, took pictures, videos of the pets uh, at the desks. And it turned out to be a pretty slow news time. And they ran that story worldwide for 10 days. So I became a source for CNN. So they'd call me and they'd say, we want to do a story on uh, a typical startup, what it looks like with the ping pong tables or the latte bars or whatever. So again, I'd take them to South of Market to one of my client companies and get another one on CNN. Or they want to do a story about uh, companies that sponsor visas. Again, I became a reliable source. So even if it didn't benefit me, if it didn't benefit my client, I still came up with the content they were looking for to make sure they'd call me again to be a a source for news on tech startups. And when you say client, this is referring to your company outside of Angels, chief people, the staffing company, or is this another thing? Or is this a portfolio company? No, I was referring to my recruiting company, chief people. Can you tell us a little story about the founding of that? Because I think that's pretty interesting, owning a staffing company and being a founder of an angel organization. So I started a company years ago called Sales Search, and I was basically placing salespeople. And I was working with American Express at the time, and they called me up one day and said, do you do tech people? Yeah, sure, I do tech people. Well, I got in the business of placing engineers and quickly changed the name of the company from Sales Search to Tech Search and never looked back. And then over the years, we changed the name to uh, Chief People. So we've been focusing on building the, the executive and engineering teams of early to mid-stage tech companies for the last 25 years. And I guess I have to thank American Express for asking that question, do I do tech people? Or I'd probably be in a different business to this day. I mean, you work with a lot of startups and you see the rise and fall. Have you had any experiences yourself in the business world of ups and downs that you can share that people can learn from? Oh, absolutely. Um, So I grew my company, my recruiting company to 135 people and took a shot at an IPO. And I can't say we were smart enough to see it coming, but it was right before the first dot-com bubble. So overnight, I went from 135 people down to one and had to rebuild my organization from scratch again. So yes, I I think everybody in Silicon Valley has experienced major highs and major lows, and, and we will again in the time to come. So let's go back to talking about startups and the whole angel community. What has changed for angel investing over the last 20 years? A lot of things have changed. One is our vision, our scope has widened. Instead of just looking at companies that are within an hour of where we live, we're looking at companies from all over the world. Another thing that's changed is the size of the check that an average angel group will make has increased. And another change is the venture capitalists are looking more at earlier stage companies than they did, say, 10 years ago 
because they want to grow their own. They want to know what's, what companies are the angels investing in that they ought to be taking a look at. Maybe not to write a check today, but maybe to write a check 12, 18 months down the road. Those are big changes. Another big change, obviously, in gaming as an example, it, it took, used to take millions of dollars to launch a game. Now you can launch a game for $100,000. So costs have come down. We've become much more efficient. And then through outsourcing, we've reduced the cost of labor by looking at talent outside of our neighborhood. What about angel investors themselves? Have the demographics of who the angels are, have those changed over the years? Well, you know, a lot of people don't realize where did the term angel, an angel investor come from? It was years ago in the 20s, and, and angel investors were the people that kept the theaters going. They poured money into theaters just as a, an angel investor, not to make money, but because they believed in the arts and they wanted to keep it coming from. So that's where the term came from. So if we go back 20 years when I first founded Bay Angels, what we were looking for was investments where we could make 5 to 10x return on our money. It was all about making money. And then at the same time, we would give money away to charitable organizations to feel good and, and to contribute to the environment. Well, nowadays, it's not unusual to find an investment opportunity where you not only do good, make money, but feel good by helping clean up the environment. A lot of these pitches we see nowadays are not just about money. They have a good cause. They have a purpose. So that's a major change where you can not only do well, but you can do good. Whereas if you go back 20 years, it was charities making money. And now it's all changed. Do you have any suggestions for beginner angel investors, people that are interested in, in possibly getting involved in this type of community? The first thing I'd recommend is they join an angel organization so they can network with experienced investors and have access to expertise outside of their, their own uh, area of expertise, and then invest as a, as a group rather than an individual. And, uh, share that due diligence and expertise. When looking for an angel group, how should one go about finding that one that, that fits them? I think the first thing you should do is look at their, go online and look at their portfolio companies and see if they've invested in anything that's even close to the space that you're building a company in. And then reach out to those individual investors. And if you can't get to those investors, Try this. Try reaching out to the company that they funded. Reach out to the CEO of that company that was funded by that angel group and ask him or her if they'll be kind enough to give you an introduction to that angel organization. I can't, I can't overestimate the value of an introduction versus simply sending in your pitch deck over the internet. We value relationships with other um, angel groups and other VCs and investment bankers. So we take a hard look at anything that comes to us. We take a harder look at anything that comes to us via an introduction versus simply a cold call over the internet. So wait, Roger, right there, your, your answer, it sounded like you were talking about introductions from startups and from potential members for angel groups. Can we go a little bit deeper into that and how valuable is a warm introduction versus just a company pitching there or sending in their pitch deck 
or the members for the group? So we have relationships with most angel organizations through Northern California and throughout the country for that matter. If we get a warm introduction from one of those groups, we're going to take a much harder look at any company that they send versus a simple cold introduction via an email. Uh, and that goes the same for investment banks and uh, venture capitalists who maybe find a deal that's too small or too early for them. They refer it to us. We want to maintain that relationship. You bet your nickel you're, we're going to take a, gr- a hard look at that company. Can you talk about how venture capitalists, investment banks, angel groups, how they network, how they talk, how they share deals with each other? So we do share deal flow. And one of the things that people don't realize about Silicon Valley, it's a really small neighborhood and everybody knows everybody. So if we get a call and somebody says, hey, have you looked at this deal that so-and-so is doing and uh, we have and we didn't like it, we're going to tell them what we thought about it. And we'll do the same if we thought it was a great deal. So yeah, we share information, whether it's good or bad, about startup companies. You know, a, a lot of people ask me, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. How do, how do I get in front of an angel? I can't get a meeting. Well, that's not true. Because every week in, in San Francisco, almost every day, there's a pitch event. So anybody can attend these pitch events and maybe meet uh, one of the panelists, get a business card, get their email, and then follow up and say, hey, I, I saw you at such and such event. I was impressed with your judging. I, I wonder if you'd take a minute and, and uh, take a look at my pitch deck. You know, be, be a be aggressive and go out there. Put yourself out there. It's, it's not that hard. It's all about networking. So you're saying all about networking. Is it okay for a startup founder to ask a judge, ask an investor to grab coffee and kind of brainstorm with them? I think the best thing you can do, because we get approached after every uh, pitch event, and I'm a judge on a number of pitch events, the best thing you can do is get their contact information. Don't try and sell them on the spot. You know, this is what I'm doing. This is what I need, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to work because we get pitched all day long. What you can do as a minimum is get their contact information and get their permission. Is it okay if I send you um, an idea that I'm working on? I think it'd be very interesting to you. Nine out of 10 investors or angels are going to say, sure, here's my card. I'll take a look at it. And then follow up. We met at the such and such event. Uh, here's my idea. I wonder if you take a look at it. Give me some feedback. Uh, I'd be open to some suggestions and love to have a meeting. It's a step-by-step process. So what you're telling me is if I met an angel today, tomorrow he's not going to write a check. Yeah, that's correct. It's just like sending in a resume. You're not going to get a job offer. But what you're trying to do is generate enough interest that they might say, hey, I saw your resume or I saw your business plan. It's kind of interesting. I've got a few questions. Let's schedule a phone call. And if you do well on the phone call, let's schedule a meeting. So can we go into more detail into that? So say I'm a brand new startup. I have an idea on a napkin. Kind of what's my process to get in front of these angel groups? Well, again, you have, you have to either apply through our website or come to one of our meetings uh, and get introduced. But what we're going to be looking at is, you know, what's the problem you're trying to solve? What's your solution? What's the size of the market? Who's in this space? Uh, who are you competing with? 
Do you have any patents? Have you raised any money to date? And hopefully you have. We're not. We're never going to be the first money in. And uh, what is it you're looking for from us? Is it advice? Is it money? Uh, is it network? Is it connections? Is it introdu- introductions to some of our portfolio companies or clients? Tell me what you need and we'll help you. That was really interesting. One of the things you said, we're never going to be the first money. Can you talk about kind of the meaning of that? Sure. So the stages of money, the first money in is perhaps money out of your own pocket as an entrepreneur. The next money is money that you've raised from friends and family, money that comes from people that believe in you for some reason. Now, we want to know that you've raised some money, but that's not necessarily what we call smart money. You know, maybe you raised $50,000 because your aunt has some money and thinks you're a nice kid. It's great that you raised money, but that doesn't mean that you've got something that's fundable. So we want to see some smart money in the, in the room. And then the next money after friends and family would be perhaps a small angel round. Now you said smart money. Can you go into a little bit more detail what smart money means? Okay. So smart money, let's say um, you're a medic- you've got an idea for a medical device company and you've received uh, $100,000 from a retired physician. That's smart money. This is a person who knows that space spent his life in that space and thinks that your idea has some significance to the industry he's from. That's smart money. Dumb money is just somebody who writes a check because they like you or they, you know, they, they think it's going to fly. So then what are some common mistakes that founders make when they're pitching to angel investors for the first time? So one of the questions I I get asked, which is a silly question, but it's a basic question, is what should I wear to a pitch meeting? And my answer is just pretend it's the most important meeting of your life. Um, But mistakes that they make is, and it's tough, my hat's off to them, it's tough to present an, an idea in a fixed time period of, say, three to five minutes. But one of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make in a fixed time pitch is they spend too much time talking about the problem and not enough time talking about the solution. Another mistake is you guys live and breathe this idea. It's all you've been working on day and night, but the audience has no idea as to what it is that you do. So boil it down to something simple. We are Airbnb for RV rentals. Well, we know what an RV is and we know what Airbnb is. Boom. Give us the rest of the story. So boil it down to something simple that we understand and then go a little deeper. Another mistake people make is sometimes the founder is not the best pitch person. Maybe their English is a second language and maybe they should have their marketing person do the pitch and then have the founder answer the technical questions. Interesting. So are you saying that say the founder's English is maybe not the best, that they should have someone else give the presentation and that's okay with the investors, the judges at these events? Yeah, not not only that, I'll go one step further. You can hire an MBA student to uh, understand your pitch deck and make that pitch. And maybe they're not even associated with the the, uh, company. They're just there to help pitch to introduce the founder who can answer the, the deeper and technical questions. Again, the whole purpose of the pitch is to generate interest. You're not going to get a check because you pitch to an angel group, but you might get some interest. And the interest is 
Yeah, I'd like to learn more. It's interesting. I think there's some uh, potential there. And I'm going to bring my friend who's also an investor who's invested in this space because I'm not an expert in that field, but he or she is. So then with that, say they only have three minutes or five minutes, you'd mentioned that maybe they spend too much time on the problem, but how should they allocate the, the time, that limited amount of time? You know, that's a, a broad question. It, 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 every company is different. So some companies are simply a great idea and other companies might have landed a, a, a key client already. So if, if, you, uh, if you're putting something on the shelf in a retail space and you've already landed Costco, spend more time on that. You know, that's really interesting. That's, that's revenue. We're, we're really interested in, in traction. Uh, if you've got a patent, tell us about the patent. That's really interesting. You know, the protection. If you're first to market, you know, make sure you don't have a competitor that's already out there. W- whatever your biggest bragging point is, that's what you should spend the most time on. Uh, and it could be that my CTO has three successful exits. You know, that's really interesting. Or the founder has successful exits. Uh, what have you done in the past? How'd you build, put the team together? How did you raise $200,000 in three months? You know, what is it that is going to get my interest? And it could be any one of those things, or it could be none of those things for that matter. And then Roger, you've gotten the opportunity to travel the world, being a judge, being an investor. Can you talk about maybe some of these countries you've gone to and what the experience was? So I've fallen in love with Cuba, and I go there as often as I can. And one of the things about Cuba is there's a huge entrepreneurial talent there because nobody can live on the average wage, which is $40 a month. Combine that with free education through PhD. So you've got a highly motivated population, highly educated population with a huge appetite for entrepreneurship. I just think that Cuba is what India was 25 years ago when we first discovered outsourcing, only it's better because they're 50 minutes from Miami. They're in the East Coast time zone. Again, the entrepreneurial spirit and the language barrier is not as significant as it might be in other countries. I just think if and when we have formal relationships with them again, that country is going to take off. So talking a little bit more about Cuba, what advances in the startup ecosystem have you noticed since your first visit to now? Any new technology that has been implemented, any available resources? Um, I've seen things loosen up a little bit. So when I first started going there, uh, the government was really tight on internet access. So what, what, what the entrepreneurs would do is they'd smuggle in an antenna, and they called it a pirate antenna, and they would put it on a public building, maybe the roof of a church. So if and when the government found out about it and shut it down, nobody got in trouble because it wasn't, it wasn't your building. And then they started to loosen up again a little bit where the hotels have internet access. So now you'll see all these young youngsters with their phones hanging around the public square or the local hotel to get internet access at night. So that's, that's starting to loosen up. But, but what's really cool about Cuba and Vietnam and, and many other countries is that hardcore entrepreneurial spirit, whether you've got the resources that we have in, in Silicon Valley or not, that spirit still remains there. 
People are creative. They've got ideas. They're educated. They're smart. And they want to make an impact, whether it's a small impact for a little company with a small idea or a big impact, which reminds me, one of the mistakes that we made when we first started Bay Angels is we had somebody talk to us about the ringtone market. And I think it's important we talk about our successes and our failures. And I thought at the time, you know, I'm kind of a dinosaur, but I thought at the time, why would anybody care about what their ringtone sounds like? And why on earth would you pay a dollar to change it? Well, that was a mistake. I missed that opportunity. Roger, you just mentioned a missed opportunity. Now, you've had so many companies present to you over time. Were there any ideas that people presented that still stick out to you, still are stuck in your mind as ideas that were just kind of crazy? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I always keep track of the worst idea that I've ever seen. And until recently, the worst idea I ever saw was somebody pitched us or tried to pitch us about the pet paint market, meaning there are occasions where you want to spray paint your pet, whether it's Halloween or a party, and you want a paint that's not going to hurt the animal. Well, we turned that down immediately. I thought it was a pretty dumb idea. And then a year later, I saw the same company pitch on the Shark Tank, which I'm, I'm sure was just for the entertainment value. So that was my number one dumbest idea until recently. And then recently, I, I got a business plan, and the premise was, we can help you manage your money after you pass on. And I thought, well, how do you do that? Well, we have the ability to speak to the dead. <laughs> so that's my number one bad idea at this point. <laughs> So, Roger, with some of these bad ideas, are there any instances in the past where maybe people presented, I don't want to say were either con men or just presented ideas that they definitely could not fulfill? I mean, how often is it that you get a, a startup present to you with an idea that you just think, this isn't even possible? We've only had one instance where uh, the material that we were provided with ended up to be made up and the founder is now in prison for wire fraud. Luckily, we didn't invest in that company and I, I can't give you their name. So, Roger, I mean, we've already talked about so much about your travels to Cuba. We've talked about your founding the Bay Angels network. We've talked about a lot of things. Are there any topics or information that we didn't talk about that might be very beneficial for founders out there of companies when presenting or trying to get in front of angel groups. Well, there's an old expression saying you only get one chance to make a first impression. I would start with your pitch deck. There are many professionals around that'll work on your pitch deck that are probably much better at writing a pitch deck than maybe the individual entrepreneur is. Make sure that pitch deck is no more than 12, 14 slides long. Again, you don't have to have everything in there, but just enough to generate some interest to lead to a phone call, which may or may not lead to a, a meeting. Build your network. Understand who your audience is. Target your investors. Find people that have invested in something similar in the same space that may have an interest in what you're doing. Again, go to uh, meetups, go to pitch events, network. Put yourself out there, meet angel investors, talk to entrepreneurs who have been funded by the same angels, see if you can get an introduction. Make sure 
if you're invited to a three-minute pitch, you don't spend too much time on the problem, spend more time on the solution. Again, it's a step-by-step process. It can be a long process, but it doesn't happen overnight. Great. Roger, this has been an amazing episode. I've learned a ton. And also, if anyone's out there, if they want to find out more information about you, what you're working on, or any events coming up, what's the best way to go about doing that? And if you want to share anything that's coming up in the future, please do so now. So we have an event next week with Depot Ventures out of Prague. You can find it on Eventbrite. We've selected uh, four Bay Angel portfolio companies that will compete with four Eastern European companies in a pitch event. You can reach me, roger at bayangels.com. I'd love to hear from anybody who's got any questions, company that needs to be funded. Great. Roger, thank you again for your time on the Silicon Valley podcast. And for all our listeners at home, please like and share on iTunes or any of the other podcast platforms that you're listening to this on. It encourages us to create more content such as this in the future, and it helps us get our show out there. So please share amongst your network. And once again, Roger, thank you for your time today on the Silicon Valley podcast. Thanks for having me, Sean. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley podcast. To access our resources, visit us at thesiliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.